Payback Time is a podcast about building businesses, wealth, and financial freedom. We try to uncover the challenges our guests faced, the mistakes they made, and the steps they took to achieve their goals. The overall objective is to provide you with a roadmap that leads to your own success. Sean Tepper is your host. Are you ready? It's Payback Time. My next guest shares her story of transitioning from $60,000 in debt in her early 30s to achieving financial independence in her early 50s by cutting down expenses and investing in the stock market. In this episode, we talk about how she paid off her debt, how she got started with investing, what investing strategies she uses today, and some of her best performing stocks. Please welcome Elisa Locke. Elisa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Well, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. I grew up in a very wealthy area, uh, Stamford, Connecticut, and we were the, the poor folks in town, so to speak. Now, we weren't actually poor. I just felt poor because in relation to everybody else, it seemed that way. And my parents were really big savers. So when I became an adult and I was earning my own money, the first thing I did was spend, 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 because I had felt kind of deprived and restricted. And Mm -hmm. um, now I had this power. I had this money. So I bought a brand new, beautiful car. We bought a a brand new, beautiful home. Um, I spent, 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 did not invest, did not save for the future. And unfortunately, in my early 30s, I found myself a divorced single mom who left that marriage with $60,000 of debt and nothing in savings, no emergency fund, nothing saved for retirement, nothing saved for a rainy day. And it was a really scary time for me. So I, um, I mean, I, I can remember it like it was yesterday, frankly. Um, I was in this apartment with my daughter and I'd be staring at the ceiling at night going, you know, I know better. You know, how, how did I get myself in this situation? Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized that if I didn't change both my mindset around money and my behavior around money, I was never going to you know, be able to fulfill my dreams, not only for myself, but for my daughter. You know, I'd never be able to send her to college. I'd never be able to give her a nice wedding. Heck, I wouldn't even be able to afford gymnastics classes you know, for her. So I uh, realized that I really needed needed to change that relationship. And um, I did. So Fast forward to my early 50s, um, my portfolio was large enough where I was able to retire. And I am now uh, semi-retired because I didn't really like retirement, to be honest. Sure. (laughs) And um, I'm now a financial coach. My company is Money Mentor Group. And I work with people who are struggling in some way with their relationship with their money. Sure. Well, thanks for the high level. What I'd like to do from here is jump into some of the details on this journey. And then for the listeners out there, of course, we like to talk about what you invest in, what your strategy is. We're going to get to all that in a little bit. So first off, you know, you had the 60 plus K in debt. You're living in an apartment. What actions did you take next? Did you focus on a savings rate or did you focus on increasing income or both? 
So the first thing that I did was realize that I had to reduce what I was spending every month in order to do something else with my money, whether that was investing it or saving it or whether it was using it to pay off debt. But there was a a finite amount of money coming in. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And um, at the time, one of the, the debts that I had was a car payment. People sometimes don't think of that as a debt, but it is. You owe, you know, money, yeah. right? It's it's a debt. And at that time, I was driving this beautiful white Volvo sedan. I loved that car, but I realized that that payment, you know, even way back when, you know, twenty years ago, it was like four hundred and fifty-three dollars a month. Wow. It was a lot of money, right? So at the time, my parents were actually donating this beat up old car that had like 180,000 miles. I mean, they were donating it. It was so bad. And I said, I'm going to drive that car instead. Would you donate it to me? So I sold my beautiful white Volvo and I drove the ugliest clunker. And in my mind, I said, I'm going to make a bargain with myself and I'm going to do this for one year. I could do anything for one year, right? Even though it was like embarrassing and like one year. So I did and I took that money and I was able to pay off some of the debt. I I didn't pay it off all of it in one year and to build a little bit of an emergency fund, you know, and I I didn't even start investing yet in that first year. But what it did was it taught me two things. It taught me that I'm empowered to kind of make these money decisions. And sometimes it's hard, but I realized, you know, as I was driving that old clunker, you know, I wasn't any less successful. I wasn't a worse mother. I wasn't any less attractive. Like, you know, we so often associate the house we live in, the car we drive with our value. Mm-hmm. And I came to realize that, you know what? I'm, a, I'm still okay driving this car. Yep. And after the year, I had accomplished so much financially. I had paid off a good chunk of the debt. I had, you know, this little emergency fund built up. And I said, you know what? I'm on the right track. I'm going to drive it another year. And so I go. said, okay, one more year. I'm like, can I do this? Right. And again, because it was a, finite period of time, it didn't seem so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started investing and I got that debt paid off. And I basically drove that really ugly car until I had you know, paid off all the debt. Good for you. Nice. So it sounds like your strategy wasn't a focus on increasing your income. It was just reducing your, your overhead. Correct. At that time, okay. yes. Yeah. And I'm curious, what did you do for work at that time? I was, I was in sales. Um, okay. I, yep. I sold outsourced staffing services, but I only did that for like the first, I think two years after I divorced. And um, it's funny that you mentioned about income because one of the yep. other kind of aha moments that I had was I had had a business Earlier in my career, um, mm-hmm. I owned a collection agency of all things. Yeah, necessity. <laughs> um, yeah, um, it was pretty lucrative. I enjoyed it. 
And because I was a single mother with a young daughter and I felt like I, you know, wanted to have the salary and the benefits and and all of that. But I got that itch um, Mm -hmm. after a while to be entrepreneurial again. So I did switch careers and certainly making those career decisions, as I think back, was a smart thing for me because over time it did increase my income. And that certainly helped. Yeah. Yes. The reason I go towards that is I hear a lot of people out there who focus on the Dave Ramseys of the world mm-hmm. who, you know, I like some of the things he teaches, but I don't align with everything. And and he's into this extremely frugal lifestyle, no dinners, no vacations, no fun, no living. Right, I'm being right. a little extreme on my descriptions there, but I agree with your strategy of reducing your income, but don't give up life. I agree. Yes. Um, I totally agree. I can't, for me, I couldn't live an extremely frugal lifestyle. It just would not make me happy. And so, you know, the one choice I made, which was a frugal choice about that car, right? Mm -hmm. But there were things that I did not want to give up because again, it's all about figuring out, you know, your priorities, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm curious here. What what did you uh, say? No, I will not give this up. This could be fun. <laughs> um, I did not give up some of my retail therapy. Okay. Um, I still love to, you know, go to TJ Maxx or Marshalls and treat myself to a new shirt or a new pair of shoes. You know, that was still something that I really wanted Good. to do. And my daughter was a competitive gymnast. Okay. And that was expensive. You know, there were not only the kind of lessons and coaching, but there was travel to competitions. And she really enjoyed that. And I really enjoyed doing that with her. And it was very much our social circle, too. And so that was not something that I wanted to give up either. That's like a, a multifaceted win because it's the time between you and your daughter. It's that mm-hmm. that relationship there. As you said, right. you've got your social circle. It's a physical activity. She's learning the importance of team and work ethic at the same mm-hmm. time. Like, I mean, the list goes on here. You know better than Right. Me. right. <laughs> it, exactly. So it's, you know, sure. it's all about just, you know, making the choices that are sure. right for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I also believe like you believe um, and agree with many of the things that Dave Ramsey promotes, but not all of them. Right. Um, Right. You know, I use credit cards every single day. Um, Mm -hmm. In fact, I use credit cards for anything I can use a credit card for so that I get the benefits, which are the points and the miles and, you know, whatever, but I do pay them off every month. Yes. I'm, I'm the same way. I, I definitely use credit cards a lot, pay it off as fast as possible every month. You get those points, which you can use to apply to trips. Yeah. I yeah. think I like traveling and whatnot. But I like this a lot because I hear people who they get into this extreme Dave Ramsey mindset and they, they go years without treating themselves to a vacation or or new clothes or even new shoes for the gym or something. You know, they'll they'll be wearing shoes to the gym and be like, you know, I just I just can't. I just can't spend money on anything. And it's they're ingrained in this lifestyle. I'm like, well how much debt do you have? Well I have like five grand. I'm like, why don't you polish your resume? Go get a salary bump. And they'll look at me like cock eyed like what? Like that's yeah. a thing? Yeah. yeah. It's not hard. 
Yeah. Well, you know, one of the lessons that I learned, um, because one of, you know, you had asked me, what did I do to kind Mm -hmm. of make some changes? And one of the things that I did pretty early on was really become a student of money and become a student of personal finance. I would go to the library every Saturday and I would check out any book that I could find on investing, on real estate, on the stock market, on, you know, mindset, on credit. Like I just learned everything that I could because I felt like knowledge is power, right? Sure. And, you know, one of the things that I learned or read early on was this concept by David Bach called the latte factor. Have you heard of this? Okay, so uh, he wrote this book called uh, The Automatic Millionaire. And in this book, he talked about what he called the latte factor, which is if you skip your, you know, $2.50 latte every day, you know, multiplied times 350, you know, days a year, this is what you would have said, you know, okay, whatever. And so it's called the latte factor. And there's two sides to that coin, I think. On the one side, it's true, right? If you skip this latte and, you know, bring your coffee in your mug yourself, you're still drinking coffee or whatever, you know, it it adds up over time, right? So that's the concept of making small sacrifices. But the other side of that coin is, is that really going to make that big of a dent in your financial picture? Eh. You know, the other side of the coin is do, you know, maybe be frugal in some of the big things. And there's three, you know, there's three biggies. If you really want to make an impact, you know, take a look at your housing, take a look at your transportation and take a look at your food. Yes. And I don't mean going to the grocery store. (laughs) I mean, dining out, right? Although going to the grocery store is part of it. So, you know, for me, I reduced my expenses by $453 a month. And that had a big impact. So I didn't have to go without the $20 shirt. Yep. Yeah. I like it. Thanks for sharing that. Um, Let's transition into your investing journey a little bit. This is what uh, our audience really loves to hear about. So when did you first start investing around? What year was this? Well, let me think here. So it was about 2013. Three years ago. Okay. So just before the dot-com bubble, that was 1999. Yes. Okay. Yes. And I really didn't know much about investing other than, you know, what I had read. My parents never talked about investing or or saving. My Mm -hmm. parents were not financial people. All I knew was they were always saying, we can't afford it. We can't afford it. We can't afford it, which... I thought that meant we can't afford it, but really they were just say, you know, big savers, but they didn't, they didn't tell me, you know, how they were investing or anything like that. So I had read, right, that you need to save money for retirement. And one of the biggest concepts that I understood was the rule of 72 and compounding interest, right? Mm-hmm. And how that works. So I thought, well, I'm going to win this game by being the turtle, so to speak, as opposed to the hare. So I'm not going to try to time the market. I'm not going to try to buy, you know, whatever's flashy. I'm going to look for solid 
you know, blue chip kind of companies that I understand what they do. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. something that I would buy myself, right? So it has for me some connections, quality, and I'm going to take advantage of whatever, you know, tax-free or tax-advantaged investing I can do out there. So during my career, when there were times that I was eligible to contribute to my 401k plan because I was an employee, my commitment to myself was max it out every year. Mm -hmm. So, you know, max it out every year, diversified portfolio. It ain't sexy at all. It's just tried and true, right? And for me, the concept of putting it on automatic pilot, you know, it comes out of my paycheck. I just live on less. That's how it goes, you know, max it out. So boom. And then in addition, an IRA, there were some years where, um, because I did end up getting remarried. There were some years where, you know, I could contribute to a Roth IRA. There were other years we earned too much. So we put money in a traditional, you know, IRA. So we always maxed out the IRAs. And then in addition, we bought individual stocks. Got it. So it sounds like you started with your 401k. Did you buy any um, like index funds or ETFs or mutual funds at that time too, or just the 401k? Just the 401k because I, That's okay. I, I didn't know, you know, I wasn't really knowledgeable. All I knew was enough. Like I got to sock the money away. I got to put the money in. Right. Yep. And on the uh, company website, there was this handy dandy little risk tolerance tool and the handy dandy little calculator. And I filled it out. Right. And it said, this is how you should invest (laughs) based Mm -hmm. on your risk tolerance. And that's what I did. And it really wasn't until a couple of years later when I started seeing the power of that compounding growth over time, right? That I just started realizing, oh my God, this is so amazing. And so then I started, you know, really learning more, buying individual stocks, because again, I just, I felt more confident in my knowledge and my investing. Sure. Well, you mentioned that a few times, individual stocks, and that's what Ticker is big on, is we like investing in individual businesses. Mm -hmm. Um, So what is your strategy there? What do you look for in businesses? I look for companies that I understand what they do. That may sound silly, but um, and, and you I use. You and I use that for too. companies that right that I use. Got it exactly. Right, and I look for companies that have been around for some time, and so there's some history there. Yes, I also, for me personally, don't like the retail sector because I feel like, especially you know, starting about 10 years ago when, you know, so many people were shopping online and I just wasn't my, you know, favorite thing. So um, looked for other companies and I always try to, again, they say always have a diversified portfolio, right? Mm -hmm. So I always wanted to make sure that my individual stocks, I had some in healthcare, some in technology, you know, some in, um, you know, different sectors, some in energy, again, because I felt like if one sector, you know, kind of goes through a period of time. And I also, for me, even though I know the concept of you should buy stocks when the stock is down. I like the concept of dollar cost averaging because 
I was a busy, you know, working mother. My husband and I had four children. I just, you know, they were all doing different activities. I just didn't have the time to really, you know, read up on it as I should and follow things as I should. And so for me, I just did the dollar cost averaging and had it automatic. And that worked for my life. Got it. Thank you for sharing your strategy there. Um, Can you share with us what specific stocks did you invest in? Well, um, my number one holding is Apple. Um, Yeah, it's done really well, you know, for us over the years. You know, we own... I mean, do you want me to tell you what we own? Or yeah, please do. <laughs> oh, yeah, go okay. into the stocks. Yep. <laughs> okay. Let's see. So our biggest holding is Apple. We also own um, Starbucks. Okay. We own Amazon. We own Moderna. We own. I'm just trying to think of some of the bigger holdings. You know, so as you can see, they're well-known yeah. names, right? Um, And again, the least sexiest strategy ever. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like your listeners are not going to find this very exciting. Um, Well, we'll get into that. They will. But I will say that um, about a couple of years ago, we did dip our toe into crypto, um, which is kind of out of our comfort zone. But my husband and I, had the conversation that we always felt in our portfolio, we wanted some a small portion of it. We were okay with a small portion being in something that was very volatile or very yeah. risky, right? And cryptocurrency certainly seems like it is here to stay. Mm-hmm. What form it will take and what it will do, who knows? And so our strategy was, let's take somewhere between two and three percent of our yep. portfolio and get into the crypto space. Nice. So if we if we lose it all, so be it. But it has the potential to really, you know, add add a, a nice chunk. So we'll see what happens. And we do dollar cost averaging. Do you? Nice. We do. Um, what coins did you invest in? Uh, Bitcoin. Bitcoin. There you go. Okay. Yeah. No, to to circle back, you know, our platform looks for those boring businesses because boring is good. It's stable. There's a lot of boring businesses out there that have made people very wealthy. You know, you Mm -hmm. have you have a a great income statement, a great cash flow statement, great balance sheet, especially they've been around for a long time. They're proven to increase revenue year over year. That's not overly exciting, but that's what builds wealth. And that's what you're doing. Yeah, we definitely did the the buy and hold. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we are retired now. We're living off of yeah. our investments for the most part. I mean, like I said, I'm a financial coach that brings in revenue. My husband does some consulting that brings in revenue. Sure. And we, we have a, a property at the beach, which we don't rent out, but we could if we wanted to. We just enjoy it. So, you know, we always have that revenue stream in our back pocket if we decide to use it. Yep. And so we, you know, view the the real estate as another asset class, right? So yep. again, that diversified portfolio theory. Right. And then how many stocks would you say you hold total? Are we talking 10 or less? Uh, no, we own more than 10. Do you? Oh, how way many? more than 10. Probably close to 30. Okay. Gotcha. 
we're in, in our platform, we try to be more focused. 30 is probably on the high end, but uh, 10 on the low end. But you do and have some, some big of names them. Yeah, some of them we don't own, you know, that much of. Sure. But um, yeah, it's probably we need to streamline things a little bit. <laughs> That's okay. Right now, of course, with everything being done, I wouldn't well, it's, it, We don't want to sell right sell. now. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Right. When this market starts to rally or really does rally, um, that might be the opportunity to be like, all right, time to trim the portfolio down a little bit. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And some of them that, you know, we own just a little bit, there were different periods of time where, again, our thought process was we're going to stick to our plan and, right, this is how much we're buying of this versus how much we're buying of mm-hmm. this. But there were times in our life where, you know, we, uh, I, I made a really big sale and I got a really huge commission check and we had that extra money, right? Or, you know, my business, because again, I had several businesses. I was in the insurance and um, mm-hmm. I was a state farm agent um, sure. for a while, right? It was a business that I did for a long time. So if I had like a really good year, got a really good bonus, you know, we would say, you know, let's take a couple thousand dollars. And instead of, again, personal choice, instead of whatever, remodeling our house or taking a trip or, you know, whatever, we would buy stock and we would kind of say, okay, like what would be a stock? We kind of always wish we had and we didn't. Let's play a little and buy some shares. There you go. Smart. Um, and what percentage when you you and your husband were really full-time um, you, you running your business, did he run a business or did he, he work well, for he somebody? Worked. Yeah. Yeah. He okay. worked for someone. Yeah. What, what percentage of your income did you invest? Would you say approximately? So not only were we investing for ourselves, but we have four children okay. and we put all four children through college with no student loans for them because wow. education was really important to us. It was a priority. So, you know, part of, our savings was also putting money in 529 plans. Mm. Our baby is um, going into his senior year of college, so we're almost done. But, you know, we've got the money in his 529 plan. To It's sitting there. Yes. So, I mean, there were years where we were saving 40% of our income. Gotcha. Nice. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But yeah. We, you know, we were a two-income family, and we both did well, and we were self-disciplined. You know, we bought a house in 1999, and we, you know, lived in the same house for a long, 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 long time, and you know, again, didn't really upgrade it very much. I mean, it was an okay house, but sure. again, it was just personal priorities. Yep. Yep. You guys are big on saving and investing. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Let's take a quick commercial break. Do you wish you would have bought some stocks earlier? Imagine you had $5,000 to invest. Let's say you bought Amazon stock in 2010. That $5,000 would now be worth over $95,000 today. Let's say you bought Tesla stock in 2013. That $5,000 would now be worth over $220,000 today. And let's say you bought Netflix stock back in 2012. That $5,000 would now be worth over $245,000 today. Do you feel like you find out about opportunities like this way too late? What if you could find great stocks before they become mainstream news? And what if a software found those stocks for you? With Ticker, you can find great stocks before what feels like the rest of the world finds out. 
No matter if you're a beginner or experienced investor, Ticker will help you find great buying opportunities and get a head start on your wealth building journey. Get started today with a free trial. Visit Ticker.com. That's T-Y-K-R.com. Again, Ticker.com. Can you share with us, do you know what your average returns were over the last few years with your stocks? Yeah. So not, well, I'm not talking now. Correct. Go back to 2021 <laughs> so, and 2020. Yeah, let's, because we don't want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, do I. <laughs> Although I have quite a bit. But, yeah. yeah. So I wouldn't say a year, but there was a certain period of time. I remember like five or six months where we were earning like 30%. Mm. I mean, it was really, we were like, oh my God. God. Um, but I would say on average, you know, if we look past the, you know, the couple of years, probably around 13%. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, yeah. That's about, I think the SP the last 10 years is around 14%. So you're right on, right on par there with the market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Can you share with us your biggest investment challenge or maybe, maybe a regret or a mistake? Yeah. Um, for me, my biggest regret is not understanding the importance of this and not making the changes that I need to earlier in my life. I really didn't get started until my 30s. And of course, we know that time is your best friend when it comes to investing. So uh, my biggest regret is not getting started earlier. Right. Yeah. You know, my biggest challenge is sometimes we were saving too much. And that may sound crazy, but we could have, uh, in hindsight, and we sometimes say this to each other, we could have relaxed a little bit. Mm. Yeah. Sure. That's encouraging to hear because there's so many people who are, they're hoarding every penny and they're thinking about it and they're emotional. You're a financial coach, so you get this more than most, but all this emotion and then the sleepless nights and, and thinking your bed like, okay, I got to save this much. I got to do this and I got to do this and then this. And it can just drive you nuts. Yeah. And it's like, just step back and enjoy life a little bit. It sounds like from your perspective. Yeah. I, you know, I, I really agree. I, I think the reality of it is, is that extremes are never good. No. Right. And so if you're an extreme spender and you're not saving anything, not a good way to be. If right. you're an extreme money hoarder, right? Or, you know, really mm-hmm. on this super frugal, you know, kind of path, you know, the, the fire community sometimes, you know, gets into that mindset, financial independence, sure. retire early. Um, either extreme is probably, in my opinion, just my opinion, not a great way to be. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I remember... In the last two weeks, I, I read a, an article on Cora where it's, it's a woman who I think she was in her upper 40s and she spent her entire working life post-college just savings. She, she almost was not braggadocious, but kind of prideful in the fact she never took a vacation. She never spent any money. And she just saved and saved and saved with this goal to retire about 10 years early. And when, what ended up happening is she got sick. She didn't provide details, but she got sick. And of, uh, fortunately, the U.S. healthcare system is not perfect. And uh, there are a lot of out-of-pocket expenses that over the duration of her sickness drained her account completely. Oh. 
And she was asking what to do. And I left a comment and, and most of my audience doesn't know this, but my dad, before he passed younger, he struggled with cancer and a similar situation. There's a lot of out-of-pocket expenses not covered by the healthcare system. And it didn't drain his account completely, but it did whittle it down over mm. a few years. And what he learned from that time period is he's going to live every day to his fullest. Mm. And he's not going to worry about how much money in his account. And he got a, um, instead of going back full-time, he got a part-time job he liked, but he, he traveled a lot. He, he lived And my response to this woman is I left my two cents. We'll see if she even read it. But I said, if I were you, hopefully you can get through this, whatever illness you're dealing with and just do something you love. Don't care about how much it makes and just go live. Yeah. Live every day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, you hear that story, you know, fairly frequently of people who are, you know, really extreme savers, you know. Yeah. And I think on the one hand, it makes people feel really good to save. It feel, it's very empowering. And when they do spend, they spend with guilt. Uh, yes. I know that I struggle with that myself. You know, I'll buy a $20 shirt at TJ Maxx and I, you know, don't wear it for two weeks because I'm looking at it feeling guilty. I mean, the oh. house, right? So now I do get over it. <laughs> Good. Good to hear. You know, um, and, and, you know, I love to stop at Starbucks. And when I stop at Starbucks, you know, I have to be conscious of the fact that I feel guilty buying myself that cup of coffee. And am I fully enjoying that cup of coffee or am I feeling guilty? So it's something I, I'm cognizant of because I've done so much of that mindset work. Mm -hmm. um, and so I have to be very intentional about, oh, for God's sakes, enjoy it, right? Yes. So yes. you have to find that balance. Yes, I love it. Thank you for sharing. What I'd like to do is flip that equation to your biggest investment success. Uh, probably that Apple stock. I was going to say I was leaning yeah. towards Apple. It, it, yeah. What, what year, I'm curious, did you start investing in Apple? Was that the 2000s? Yes. I was it early, like dot-com bubble? I'm trying to remember. I want to say yes. That's incredible. I love stories like that because I have heard people that started buying Apple around that 2000, 2001, 2002. And um, I'm just going back in time here so the listeners know... Um, there are stock splits, of course, over time, right, but today right. Apple is at a $134 and back in 2001, it was 35 cents. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yes. We're actually watching the Apple stock really carefully because at one point it represented so much of our portfolio. It made us mm. nervous. So sure. it really wasn't balanced the way we wanted it to be. So for us, when it hits a certain dollar amount, our plan is to sell some of it. Sure. We sure. may have to wait for it to hit that, you know, in this market, you know, yeah. but, you know, it's not going anywhere, hopefully. So, no, I, I look at and I invest in Apple too, and in, in a lot of our, our customers do. And it's one of those stocks that, like, within, I'll give you a little context here what Ticker does. So, Ticker looks at the financials, looks for safer businesses, so really strong financials overall. But then we also look at the meaning, moat, and management. Meaning, you got to know the business. So, you're doing oh, that. Yeah. The moat is the competitive advantage.
advantage. I like what you said about retail. If you got too many competitors out there, that's a bad thing. Um, so you like businesses that are hard to duplicate. So you're doing that mm-hmm. already. Mm-hmm. And then management can be fun because that's the CEO. Do they have a track record of building great companies? Whether it's the current CEO or for somebody that's kind of jumped from another company to this new company. Yeah. Um, and Apple. Apple checks all those boxes. Tim Cook on the leadership side has done great work there. And and they've got all these revenue streams within the same business model. So is Apple going away? No. Right, right. <laughs> Absolutely not. Right. I will say the one, we do own one uh, retail stock and that's Walmart. That's not bad. Yep. Yeah. Because we feel like that is such a giant <laughs> yes. you know, of a company and they do so many things. So- that's kind of the one big re- retail holding that we have. Yeah, I, I was actually looking at Walmart. I try to do a stock review once a week, like a, a review I write, and then sometimes I'll do a video. And Walmart has so many brands that are under its umbrella in different countries. And I, I try to talk to our customers about, you know, someone only invest in stocks from their country. And that's that's fine, but you limit yourself. Whereas a Walmart has all the supply chain in place, all the distribution right. plants all over the globe. So whether you're selling food or T-shirts or or hardware, I mean, we got a here in the U.S. There's all these uh, super WalMarts, you could say, mm-hmm. right? They've got everything in them, right? And it's like they get all those products from a nearby location, and you can get them really fast and sell them fast, and that's what keeps that revenue going. Whereas uh, you know, if you got a local retailer that's just based in, let's say, your own country, they're going to be limited to scale and limited yeah. to right to increase our share price. So right, yeah, Walmart's good. Yeah, yeah. All right, let me keep going here. This is a fun one. How do you manage your emotions, especially now with the market as volatile and down as it is right now? So here's what's really interesting about this question. So my husband and I talk about this all the time we have completely different kind of almost polar opposite money personalities. So thank goodness we work well together. We've been married well over 20 years now. So for me, I don't look at it very often. I look at my holdings probably once a quarter because the reality of it is I'm not going to change anything. Right, right. So why spend my time? I'm not going to change anything. I'm, you know, not going to be selling anything. I'm, you know, I, and I'm big on this, like dollar cost averaging. So for me, stress-free because, yes, right. My husband, on the other hand, looks at it much more frequently, right? Yeah. And <laughs> oh, buddy, come on. <laughs> he drives himself crazy. So, nice. you know, so it's interesting, right? Um, yeah. How, you know, we're just so different. Mm-hmm. I, I have to side with your strategy a lot more. That's the way to do it. Like you're, you're investing. What I like is what you're doing from the foundation up is you're investing in strong businesses. You don't have to worry about if they're going to file bankruptcy tomorrow. Right. They're not. Right. These are strong companies. They're going to be around. So why stress? Exactly. And and I really kind of adopted this strategy out of necessity because I was a busy working mom with four children. I mean, I didn't have time to make sure my socks matched, let alone, you know, look at my my holdings, sure. right? 
I mean, I was like barely getting through the day when they were young, right? So for me, that worked well over the years. Nice, nice. Well, thank you. I, I really loved hearing about your investment strategy and what you're doing, especially in times like this. What I'd like to do next is go into the rapid fire round. We'll get to learn a little bit more about you. Okay. And then since you're a financial coach, at the end, I'd like you to give like a minute or two, talk about what you do for your customers and where they can reach you. So, Great. so first off, rapid fire round, if you could try to answer each question in 15 seconds or less. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite podcast that you listen to? Uh, How I Built This okay. from NPR. Got it. I've heard of it. Uh, what is a recent book you read and would recommend? Um, I just read The Energy Bus. Great book. All right. So I'll put it on the list. This is a fun one. What's your favorite movie? Ooh. Um, <laughs> I was going to say Top Gun because that's all we've been talking about now because this new movie came out, Top Gun. So we'll go with Top Gun because... This this new one, correct? The old one. The old one. Oh, the you're original. going with the original. Yeah. Um, did you see the new one? I have not yet, but I heard it's great. And I'm not a hype guy. It is an incredible movie. Very good story. And it's, it's not like the first one. I have to say that it's a little more serious. Ah. It has its, it has its moments of, of fun, like the first uh -huh. one, but this is a little more grounded to reality. I would say it's mm. yeah. Yeah. And my number two would be Forrest Gump. Oh, classic. Yeah. Yes. 1994 beat Shawshank Redemption for the uh, oh, Oscar, the best yeah, movie. Another great movie. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> anyway. All right. What is the best investment advice you ever received? Slow and steady wins the race. Yes. The tortoise. Yeah. The tortoise versus the hare, as you yeah. mentioned earlier. Yeah. Yes. Uh, we'll flip that equation. What is the worst investment advice you ever received? Um, <laughs> invest heavily in cryptocurrency. <laughs> <laughs> I will say you mentioned two to three percent. We actually yeah. do recommend five percent or less, and we are oh. hearing that consistency with um, a lot of like a lot of the large financial institutions are starting to offer crypto, but they like to say, "Hey, five percent or less, yeah. folks." All right. Yeah. So cool. All right. Good. And last question here is a time machine question. If you could go back in time to give your younger self advice, what age would you visit, and what would you say? Oh, I'd visit my um, early 20s and um, I would say to stop equating my net worth with my self-worth. Great advice. I love it. All right. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your financial coaching practice and where people can reach you? Sure. Uh, the name of the practice is uh, Money Mentor Group. Um, I have a business partner. Her name is Jane Helm. Together, we do financial coaching. We provide one-on-one -on -one financial coaching anywhere in the country for people who are struggling with any kind of issue in their relationship with money and their behavior with money. So it could be struggling with debt. It could be struggling with overspending. It can be couples who are just not on the same page or people who know that they should in some way, shape or form stick to a budget, but really struggle to do that. Um, gotcha. We also do group coaching and we have a number of, on our website, we have a number of online offerings. Um, one is a course on how to get rid of debt. 
which is very popular. One is on kind of mastering your money management, which is all about money management fundamentals, not investing, but daily money management. Um, We also have a money personality assessment that people can take. It's a fun, quick little assessment, and it tells you what your money personality is and what that means for you in terms of your relationship with money. That sounds awesome. Well, we'll make sure to promote your link when this goes live. Great. Really appreciate your time, Alisa. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. We'll see you. Okay. Hey, I just want to say thanks for checking out this podcast. I know your time is valuable and there's a lot of other podcasts out there you could be listening to. So thanks for taking the time to listen to my guest's story. If you did enjoy this podcast episode, could you head over to iTunes and leave a five-star review? That would be much appreciated. Thank you. And last but not least, on this podcast, uh, some episodes we do talk about stocks. And please keep in mind, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. So if you did hear any buy or sell recommendations, please don't make those decisions based solely on what you hear. All right. Thanks a lot. See ya.